0: Hi, I'm Rev. Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome to The Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I have an amazing guest today, and I can't wait for you to meet her. I just want to, just like every week, I just want to appreciate you all. I really do appreciate my listeners. I really am grateful that you share this podcast with friends who are on the spiritual path. And what does that mean? And the spiritual path is one of awakening. It's one of transformation. It's one of healing. It's one of becoming your authentic self. So anybody who's on that journey, I'm Appreciate that you let them know about this podcast, because that's what this is all about, a voice of hope and inspiration and awakening. And we learn a lot about this through story and learning about people's stories and other people's experiences of healing and transformation. I want to send a shout out to Marianne for donating to the Spiritual Forum. This is a 100% donation-based podcast ministry, and that's how we keep going. That's how we get these episodes out there. And so if you're able to donate at all, if you receive, if you feel like you're receiving any benefit from this podcast, very small amounts, large amounts, regular amounts, intermittent amounts, it doesn't matter. I know it really kind of feels good when you, when you get something from someone or something and then are able to give back at least just a little bit. It keeps the flow of abundance going in your life. So appreciate all who are willing or um, open to donating. Oh, and let me tell you how I can do that. I forgot that. You can donate at the spiritualform.org, And that's where everything about this ministry is, the podcast part, the prayer part, and the retreat part. Now, let me introduce you to Barbara Jenkins. Born into an impoverished Ozarks hillbilly upbringing, Barbara Jen- Jenkins' life led her to high adventure. As a young woman living in New Orleans in 1976, she dropped her work on her master's degree to walk across America with her then-newly-wedded husband, Peter Jenkins. Their three-year, 3,000-mile walk across America became one of the most popular stories in the National Geographic magazine of 1979. Cataloging their journey, she co-authored The Walk West, which became an international bestseller and part of the Permanent White House Library but her personal story remained in the shadows. Now, her untold and long-awaited story, revealing how she experienced her famous walk across America and its crushing aftermath, is told in her book, So Long As It's Wild. Her story is one of courage and strength, endearing connections with salt-of-the-earth people, divine encounters with nature, and personal growth
1: and transformation. Welcome, Barbara. Oh, thank you, Carol. That's quite an introduction, but I'm so happy to be with you and your audience. And I'm in Nashville and you are up north. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's delightful to be here and um, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share my journey and, and hopefully it will be entertaining and uplifting to your listeners.
0: Yeah, it really is a fantastic, I would even say fantastical journey. It's, it's so interesting that you went from, you know, this kind of hillbilly upbringing, which you talk about in your book. You kind of have these flashbacks to your upbringing. And and there you are bettering your life in college, getting a master's degree. You drop all that to, to go on this amazing, mind-boggling journey, which is cataloged through the National Geographic. Why don't you tell us a little bit from your perspective what your journey was about? I know it's in your book. Your whole book is your journey. But anybody who's completely unfamiliar with you, tell us a little bit about what your spiritual journey was with during on this walk west, or anything about your upbringing, anything um, about how you've come to writing this book today.
1: Book, of course, is called "So Long as It's Wild." And it's just been released. It was endorsed by none other than Dolly Parton, Hillary Swank, uh, Connie Britton. It's gotten rave reviews. It has a 4.6 rating on Amazon. But it is my memoir. It is my story. And you have to understand where I came from so that you know that I'm not completely nuts. Why would anyone drop everything and walk across America? But I grew up in the Ozarks of Missouri. We were very poor. No one on my street could read or write. My parents had an eighth grade education and they had to read the mail for my neighbors because they couldn't read. We we did not have indoor plumbing until I was about twelve years old. We lived next to the railroad tracks. So for me, growing up, hearing the wail of a train whistle or the rumble on the tracks was just as normal as hearing a dog bark or birds singing. And I we were very poor, but I didn't know we were poor. That was just the way life was. And my parents were hardworking, very industrious people. So it wasn't that we were poor because we were lazy. In fact, My mother always said, well, it ain't no sin to be poor, but it is to be dirty. So we were very clean and orderly, but we were just poor folks. Well, I worked my way through college at College of the Ozarks over near Branson, Missouri. And after I got a college education, I'm the first person in my family on either side to have a college education. And then I worked for the welfare department a short time and felt like I needed to go on to a seminary where I was working on a master's degree. And you talk about your spiritual journey. What I learned working for the welfare department, I felt like all I was doing was shuffling papers. I wasn't really changing people's lives or helping them to better their lives. It was just a matter of, were they eligible to get welfare and and commodities? Well, I learned early on, number one, that I couldn't save everybody. Number two, that in order for people to really change, it had to be an inward change. And so that motivated me to go on to seminary. I was always a lover of ancient history and biblical history. And so I went to a seminary in New Orleans and had finished almost a year of a Master's of Religious Education. And I found seminary to be very, oh, it was fun, but it was very confining because I was always a woman with big dreams. My mother used to say, Barbara, get your head out of the clouds. Your eyes are bigger than your belly. (laughs) It was always a dream. And I wanted I wanted to experience the world in a way that wasn't confined to a cubicle or a corporation or climbing a corporate ladder. So this young man comes into my life, and we were having a uh, what we call a roast. It was a party in the women's dormitory, and we were roasting some of the professors there on campus because they were all very staid and very you know, religious and all that, and we thought a little humor would lighten things up. That's when I first saw this young man, and he looked like a Viking to me. He was so unkempt. He didn't have the khakis and the the button-down shirt. He had on holy jeans and kind of long, stringy hair, and he looked like he was wild right off of some ship. But I thought he was fascinating. I hoped I could meet him. So a few weeks passed, and we were having another event in the women's dorm. The guys would always come over while we were cooking, and one guy, he tossed some water, a glass of water on a girl. She jumped up and threw water back at him. And before you know it, we were in a total water fight in the women's dorm. Other men started coming in, the single men, of course, coming into the women's dorm, and we were throwing pitchers and glasses and buckets of water. It was like a Louisiana thunderstorm. I had a bucket of water. I was chasing this guy out the door. He got away, and there, standing in front of me, was this young, wild-looking Viking guy named Peter, and I took one look at him and dumped a gallon of water on his head, and that's how we met. So we, uh, we dated, we fell in love. Uh, The next, the following spring, he needed to get back on the road. He was walking from New Orleans all the way to the Pacific Northwest and wanted me to go with him. And, you know, who signs up for that? I certainly didn't. I wasn't, I, I, I had always been kind of prissy and kind of feminine and had never really been camping in my life. I was raised in the Ozarks. We were poor. Why did I need to go camping? <laughs> and so, so anyway, I said, I'm going to have to pray about this. And if I don't get some kind of sense, a direction, a revelation, something, then you go on your walk. If we still feel the same way about each other when you finish, we'll We'll see where we are then. I told him I'd go to church with him one last time. And if I didn't get something, then that was it. So we go to this church. It's a big non-denominational church in New Orleans. And about a couple thousand people are there. There's no place to sit except on the very front row. And that particular day, they rolled out this old woman in a wheelchair. She was 82 years old. Her name was Mom Beal. Now, where I come from in the Ozarks, we didn't have women preachers. And so I thought, oh, dear Lord, this is it. So I was preparing myself to break up with Peter. So we're on the front row, and this old woman in a wheelchair, and she has this sweet, angelic voice, and she says, Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And they were looking for a wife for Isaac. So they sent this servant to this other land to find a beautiful young woman. And the servant said, I have found her. But the parents, the girl went home and the parents wanted to know what the girl thought about this. Was she interested in going with this servant to marry Isaac? The old woman, she whispered in the microphone, and she said, I'm going to tell you the title of my sermon today. And then she boomed. It was a booming voice. And she said, the title of my sermon today is, Will You Go With This Man? <laughs> now you have to understand context of my life that moment in history that fork in the road mm-hmm. whether or not to go with Peter on his journey walking across America for me that was the divine finger pointing at me and asking me Barbara will you go with this man I said yes now when you think you have a call on your life You may be under the illusion that everything is going to be a bed of roses and that you are just going, it's just going to be mountaintops and tulips (laughs) and music in the background the whole way. But I'm here to tell you that walk across America took three years, 3,000 miles, walking 15 to 20 miles a day. In all kinds of weather and conditions, sometimes almost being struck by lightning, uh, hit by tornado. As as we crossed this country, we left in July of nineteen seventy six, and it took three years. We ended in January nineteen seventy nine.
0: Yeah, I'd like to interrupt you. I briefly can keep going.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just want to
0: interrupt just a little bit because I want to reflect on some of what you've said because it's such a fascinating journey. I think I think starting off as a dreamer was really interesting. I think that, you know, little children are dreamers and we, we tend to want to take the dreaming nature out of them. Like there's something wrong with that. Just just focus on your schoolwork or stop dreaming. I think a lot of people have gotten that message. And the fact that we're all dreamers and, and your dreaming nature is what part I think Obviously, you're falling in love with the Viking, but but also the dreaming nature that there's something more for me, something more adventurous, has been a part of your life in the beginning. Right. And I think it's really important to, you know, it's it seems kind of trite to say, follow your dreams. But we may not even have specific dreams, but the fact that we have a dream, we know that there's something for us that's bigger and more adventurous, that we look for what that is. I, I find that the story of the woman minister in the wheelchair is so interesting. Because, you know, it was a sign, but it really was a question. You still had to answer that question. You did not get the message from God, from the divine, saying, go with this man. I, I, I think this is really interesting. It was you still had the opportunity to answer the question for yourself. It was right yes. there in front of your I face. You still had a choice. Right, right. And I think that's what's really interesting about callings. You still have a choice. People can be called to do all sorts of outrageous things, small or large, but you still have a choice. You're not being forced ever to take the next step. You de- you declare your own destiny by the next step that you take, and the next step that you took was the adventure with with your, your Viking. I think that's really interesting. I, and then the third thing I wanted to point out is... You are so right. When you answer a calling, people think, I did this. I've answered callings before. I, I answered a calling to to start a church. I thought, I thought this is this divinely inspired. I was going to step right into this. Ta-da! It was really, really hard. I'm not equating it to your journey. I'm just saying, you're absolutely right. When you answer a calling, you have some idea that it's divinely inspired. <laughs> and now now you're walking. You know, down the Yellow brick Road. But remember, even in that story, there were all sorts of things that happened uh, that
1: they had to be overcome. Well, for, for for example, for example, when we were walking across southeastern Colorado, we were on this lonely, deserted road. It was a desolate road. All you could see as far as the eye, was just the open sagebrush and desert. And I hear a rumble in the distance, and it's a car. And Peter was walking pretty far ahead of me, like he always did. And part of that, he just could walk faster. He liked to scout ahead. And um, he just, you know, always felt like he was leading, which, which was fine. So I was just, you know, I had my head down. I was looking at jackrabbits hopping across the sagebrush. And I heard a meadowlark off in the distance. And then I hear this car rumbling in the background. And it pulls up next to me. And inside are three drunk men looking for trouble. Mm -hmm. And they held their arms out the window, trying to grab me and started shouting obscenities at me. And come on, Senorita, get in the car. We're going to do things to you. And of course, it scared me. I'd never experienced anything like this. They kept going forward and backward, starting, you know, stopping on the gas and then jerking back. Well, Peter turned around and was rushing back toward me. We did not have a weapon of any sort except a big golfing umbrella, which looked like a spear. And so he was going. To protect me and take on these three guys. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we hear another truck coming way in the background. But when these drunk men heard this other vehicle coming, they started screaming and shouting and saying, We're going to come back and kill you. We're going to come back and kill you, senorita. Well, they weren't going to come back and kill Peter. They were going to come back and kill me. Anyway. They stomp on the gas, and they peel out down this empty road and, and and go over the horizon. Peter and I jump off the road, and we're headed out in the sagebrush, and we found a narrow little gully, and we just hunkered down until dark. And one of the things I've learned being in the wild is that when animals are in danger, when they're being sought by a predator, If they can't outrun them, they will camouflage and freeze in place. So we just were camouflaged there in this low spot. And we just rolled out our sleeping mats because we couldn't set up a tent. We couldn't be visible. And so we just laid on our sleeping mats, hoping we were not on top of a bed of rattlesnakes. And as the stars came out and the moon came out, And finally, it was dark enough we felt like we could talk to each other. We heard the rumble of the car, and for about an hour or so, that same car with the drunk men went up and down that road with a spotlight, shining it out across the desert, looking for us. They never found us. The next morning, we got up at dawn, walked into San Luis, Colorado, a little dusty western town of about 700 people at that time. We went straight to the sheriff's office and we told him what had happened to us. And he said all he knew who these outlaws were. They were a band of outlaws and renegades that came out of the mountains. And he had just shot and killed the leader of that gang the week before. Mm. And he said, you are lucky to be alive. So, That was one of many dangerous experiences we experienced walking across America. So, yes, it was a divine calling, and I do believe we were protected. It was divine protection, but the dangers were real, and the threats were real. I fell off a 13,000-foot peak and almost slid to my death. I was hit by a car. in outside of Salt Lake, Utah. I mean, the stories are all there. I walked across Oregon, the coldest winter since 1919. Now there is a story of a divine intervention, the coldest winter since 1919. I didn't know it at the time, but I was two months pregnant with my first child, and I felt sick as a dog, was throwing up, It was a whiteout, blizzards, and we met this old mountain preacher. His name was Milo Frankie, and he looked like something out of a Western movement. And he told us, he said, you will surely perish if you do not have help crossing these Cascade Mountains. We had 400 miles left to walk to end this epic journey. And I was sick, and it was so cold. I just didn't know if I could make it. So he got his little church to give him permission to take a week off, and he followed beside me in his little Ford Falcon at two miles an hour as we crossed the Cascade Mountains in blizzards and whiteouts. And he would roll down the window so the heat would blow out on me, Mm -hmm. and he'd pop in a gospel tape. And that was the only sound in all of this whiteout. And Milo would shout at me, and he'd say, Come on, Barbara, baby. You walk, baby, and I'll throw up. Milo, Frankie, I said, I don't know anyone on the planet who had an old mountain preacher who rode a horse and a motorcycle to be my guardian angel and who got me across the Cascades in the coldest winter since 1919,
0: Yeah, there's so many adventures in that journey. And I I think that's really interesting that, you know, people can be your angels and show up and, and really help. And there's all sorts of ways that you are protected by the divine. I have to say though, that when I was reading your book, what really impacted me more than even some of these crazy situations you were in, like the ones you described and some of the horrific weather you were in and what you had had to endure like ticks and storms and <laughs> all these kind of things what i was most impacted by was for me at least i sensed that early on this was like a lot like like a lot more than you were expecting and there was a loneliness uh, because peter had the adventure and the strength and the fortitude, and you had the fortitude for sure, but it didn't seem like physically you were as equipped, and and it was like, how can I describe this? To me, it just seemed like you had your own experience, and he had his own experience, and it was really difficult for you to convey the experience you were having because he wasn't really open to cool. hearing your. Your experience. And to me, that just seems so lonely. And you had to really find
1: something in yourself there. There were many, many, many times I wanted to quit. I hated walking across America and I loved it. It was a love hate experience because I loved the adventure, the newness. Every day was new and different. But yet it was a walk of faith because I never knew what the next mile would bring, where the next meal was coming from who would we meet? So it took a lot of inward uh, adaptability to be able to keep going and to keep believing that things would get better or that there would be something, there would be some kind of reward at the end of the day or whatever. But I did have people and angels along the way who encouraged me. Ruby Martin, a pioneer in in West Texas, she said to me, "All oh, out, wow, girl! This walk across America, it ain't nothing." She said, "You ain't lived till you've picked cotton all day long in the hot Texas sun, for twenty five cents a hundred pounds, and your hands are bleeding." Here, we had the best outdoor equipment. Jan's Fort was a new company at that time, and so her encouragement, along with so many others across the country, because women from her generation were not coddled. They weren't enabled. They had survived much greater things than I had. My own grandmother traveled by cupboard wagon. Even Ruby traveled by cupboard wagon. She was a living pioneer and had raised her 12 brothers and sisters. So walking across America in her mind was nothing, Mm. but that gave me encouragement along the way. But yes, there were many times I can't really say I was lonely uh, because I had this, this connection to God and I would talk to God as I walked along the way. And, and I was adjusting to a new marriage, which was very difficult. I mean, most couples will start out with a honeymoon and sleeping under silk sheets and having a glass of wine. I was sleeping on cow patties under a tent on the ground in all kinds of weather. And it wasn't really conducive to sweet romantic experiences. So Peter and I had a very rough start and he was not sympathetic with me he expected more out of me and i grumbled we fought but yet in front of the camera in front of the news reporters and all the little hometown newspapers and and in front of the public we were america's sweetheart adventurers and mm-hmm. i was not trained to complain My grandmother, who had nothing, I grew up poor. My people were not complainers. They just kept their nose to the grindstone and did what needed to be done. So I wasn't complaining about the blisters and the heat or my marriage. I just sucked it up and endured and persevered. Mm -hmm. And it was long suffering. And I do think that in today's culture, I do think we are speaking to young women. I do think young women have a tendency to throw in the towel too soon, or they or oh poor, pitiful thing, you're going through something tough. We have to teach the next generation how to endure and how to persevere and how to be long-suffering, of course. The second half of the book deals with the aftermath of the fame and the fortune and the crumbling of my marriage. And I had three beautiful children, a beautiful farm, but yet fame and fortune does uh, can be very harmful to people. A lot of temptations, and Peter chose another direction, and there were infidelities, and I couldn't live with that. So I had to start my life over with three children as a single parent. But all those lessons I had learned growing up as a hillbilly in the Ozarks and endurance and perseverance walking across America, they served me well as I had to reinvent and rediscover my life after fame and fortune and after I lost it all. Mm -hmm. So it is a journey of high adventures, great fame and fortune, losing it all, reinventing myself and still coming out on top.
0: Yes. What do you think you learned most about yourself in this journey and the aftermath?
1: I think I learned the importance of taking life one day at a time and holding life and expectations with an open hand and then trusting God to lead you, to lead you day by day, to lead you into the future. Because he knows the end from the beginning. And I believe every person has a destiny. And how important it is to find your destiny. And there were times I shook my fist at heaven. i have done everything right, and yet look at the hardships I was going through. Look at the unfairness of life. And yet what I learned was humility, forgiveness. Keep on keeping on. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing, and keep on dreaming. Uh, what what
0: I saw in your story is woven into your experiences and your flashbacks to your hillbilly past is you, that you were battling with unworthiness, one, a sense of unworthiness that that perhaps was out of your relationship with your mother and. And I'm wondering, how how do you feel that ended up transforming for you or changing for you over time? Do you feel like that is still a part of your spiritual journey, battling unworthiness, or do you feel that that is something that you have now overcome? Thank think,
1: you know, I think my mother's harshness, and you have to understand, my mother and dad had an eighth grade education They just raised their kids the way they were raised. And, you know, you just talk to them like a dog. And my mother would call me names and, and get your head out of the clouds and you're just a stupid cow and just, you know, things like that. Well, I grew up feeling unworthy and like I needed to prove myself. I needed to get out of, out of this, out of, out of this image that. Had been, had, had been given to me by my hillbilly upbringing, and particularly my mother. So, yes, I felt unworthy. I began to transform when I left home and went into college. And I start, started coming out of this and transforming how I thought of myself and how I looked. But it was always a journey of doing better, being better, being the best that I could. And instead of looking at it as a disadvantage, I look at it as that's what God used to help catapult me onto a path of a great destiny, Hmm. of a great Hmm. journey, of becoming all that I could become. And I might not have done that if I had been smug in who I was or, or felt like I knew it all or that I was God's gift to humanity. I wasn't. I was just a poor hillbilly girl trying to find who I was and where I was going. And in retrospect, as looking back with with wisdom and understanding, I see that that was one of the many tools. So I, I say to people who are disadvantaged, turn that thing on its head and use it to your advantage.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Use it as a springboard to finding all that you can become and being all that you can become because everyone has a wonderful destiny. They just need to seek and you shall find.
0: Yeah, and I think that often we end up marrying partners that mirror that that parental story that we were told. Abuse. Yeah, (laughs) so we can continue to work on that. And and I think Peter mirrored some of that to you, your mother's. Yeah,
1: he really criticisms does. He, and yeah, he was he was critical and harsh and not nurturing. So that was another journey to kind of get to the place. And I think the reader, by the time I file for divorce, readers are cheering me, Barbara. Yeah. I wanted you. I did this. What I took did you so long? Interview and all. <laughs> yeah. What took you so long? You know, what to, to answer that question? What took me so long was we had built a life, a kingdom. Oh, of, of fame, course. Yes. Had children. We had oh. all of those trappings. Yes. So to walk away from all that took another level of courage. Right. And then to start all over. So. so you know, a lot of people are trapped because they're too afraid of the unknown. They're afraid that it's, it's just too, it's, it's too scary out there. So they will stay in abusive relationships. But anyway, this, this sense of, of dreaming and adventure and persevering, all those qualities that were tested and tried in my life served me well. And has mm-hmm. and continue to serve me well, I've been on a lot of young women's podcasts where they're talking about their husbands and raising children and all that kind of stuff and you know what do you want your legacy to be, and what's the one thing you learned and all those kinds of things but i I think I think young women today they do have a hard road working and raising a family and there's just no time to pull back and, and, you know, spend a day walking and talking to God. They don't have that kind of time. I had three years of that. And they're so busy. Guess what I want them to know is how important it is to literally pull back and find those moments, those sacred moments, where they can get in touch with nature. With God, with themselves, because that's what grounds them to face all the things that come at them. And then when people ask me about Barbara, what do you want your legacy to be? I could say a lot of flowery things. You know, I mean, our books are a part of the White House library. The Walk West was chosen as one of 100 of the most influential books on American culture in the last 100 years. I I've had people, already movie scouts on this book. So long as it's wild, who knows what what doors will open for that book? Whatever comes out of this, what I want my legacy to be is what will my children say about me. Mm -hmm. That's all that's important to me.
0: Yeah, I think it's wonderful that you're able to tell your story for your children, that and your grandchildren. I think it's really important that. Everyone think about ways to tell their own story, whether it's a book or record it or or at least tell tell your grandchildren your stories and If you don't have stories to tell, it's time to create them. <laughs> don't let your life go by without yes. having some stories to tell and One of the things yes. I want before yes. we before we end i I think another part of your adventure that we haven't touched on because I think we've touched on your own psychological journey and your own connection with God and your own adventurous spirit and your dreaming nature. But you also had some amazing encounters with with nature. I, I think this is another thing I just want to emphasize about your story because it wasn't just walking on roads and talking to people and it wasn't just weather and those kinds of circumstances. You also had these encounters with I think divine encounters with the animals and, and nature. And can you speak to that just a little bit and tell me about what that meant to you?
1: Yes, I have such a love of of animals. And where I live in Nashville and live in the forest, in the woods, so I have wild turkey and herds of deer in my yard, so I'm still surrounded by animals. But we were walking into John Day, Oregon. It was a total whiteout, a blizzard. I was freezing. I didn't know if I could make it into this town. Peter He was so far ahead of me I couldn't see him because of the snow and the heavy the heavy snowflakes, and oh, I was just I was just at the end of myself, and I heard this twig snap, and I thought, "What other crazy fool is out here in this blizzard? Who is this and I looked up and there was the most angelic, beautiful little doe. With a blanket of snow on its back and these big brown, beautiful eyes, just stood there and looked at me, wasn't afraid, looked at me. And I looked at this little doe, and it was almost as though, I mean, obviously animals don't talk, but it was almost as though I was being infused by courage from this little animal that said, Come on, Barbara you're almost there. You can make it. You can make it. Everything's all right. But that little animal gave me courage in that moment of despair. And I had many encounters. I mean, I loved. They were companions as I walked across America, whether it was the birds or the rabbits. I mean, I didn't care for the ticks in in Louisiana or the alligators. But the 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 beautiful wildlife across this country. They in fact someone has said, Barbara, you need to write a children's book about animals across America. I might do that. I don't know. But but they truly were inspiration as I crossed the country.
0: Yeah, I think that spirit guides show up in lots of different ways. You've described some of the people who were your angels as you were walking across the nation and yes. the man the truck and the music and all of that and other people who fed you and took care of you. And then the animals, I think they're also spirit guides that were, you know, guiding you. And I, I guess I mentioned this because it, all of this is for all of us. its It's not like you have to go on an adventure and walk across America through the elements to experience the divine either in people or in animals. But we do have to take the steps to be out in the world and be willing to open our hearts and our eyes to see what is right before us. And that would be something that I would want to encourage people to, to do their own walk, whether it's walking across America or just walking out on your yard or walking away and going to a state park and having some time to yourself and allowing those spirit guides through the animals to show themselves to you, and whoever shows up in your life to help you along your way. Uh, to me, these are a lot of the lessons in your book. It's Your your adventure is really a- oh, adventurous yeah. and crazy and exciting, yeah. and not everybody has that kind of adventure, but everybody has spirit guides and angels and and having to face their own self and to find the fortitude and the strength and the courage to take the next step. Your story is really a metaphor for everyone's journey
1: as I see it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I did not want to write this book. I think I've shared that with you. It is 40 years. I'm coming out of 40 years of silence, and it took three years to write it. But as I was writing and reliving, of course, I have an office full of thousands of photographs. I still have my original journals, piles and piles of newspaper clippings so it was easy to go back it was just a matter of coordinating all of that information but as i was writing the book and reliving all of those experiences good bad uh, tragedies joys sorrows all the elements of life the things that that are so sweet and all around us there's just living and life all around us whether it's the roses in your rose garden the the birds are singing to you in the morning the trees the the leaves that are falling this time of year there's so much beauty and life around that we're missing it having our faces stuck in a in a phone or in front of a computer all the time and virtual reality is not real reality it doesn't ground us it doesn't feed our souls and so it is so important to take time walk barefoot in the front yard Mm -hmm. and or go like you said go to a park uh feed the ducks on a pond go ride a horse do something in nature and uh, i'm just i'm just so grateful i i don't have I've had a lot of people say, "Do you really feel like you were meant to go on that walk because everything didn't turn out?" Mm-hmm. And I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. Oh, yes. I don't regret any of that, even though it wasn't picture perfect. But isn't that life? And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean it still wasn't the call on my life when because other people have freedom of choice as well, and they can go in another direction. But you just need to follow your own destiny and the call on your life.
0: Yeah, I think you've given us a lot of nuggets, a lot of wisdom about following our calling, taking on the adventure, doing the inner work, connecting with nature, recognizing the people in the world that help you, and moving through adversity with with grace and and not having any regrets. So that's kind of what I took from this hour. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say before we close. I want to give you the last minute or two.
1: I want to thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. And I would like your listeners to know book is called So Long As It's Wild. It is my memoir. And you can go on my website, com, and contact me and let me know what you think, what you thought, if you have any questions. I'm just so grateful at this season of my life to be able to tell my story. People find it fascinating. See, this is my life, but yet to young people today, this is like something out of the 1800s before (laughs) the internet or, you know, before cell phone. But this, this is my life. And and it does span in this generation. And so I look forward to hearing from your listeners and, and from readers of the book.
0: Great. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for sharing yourself. I'm really glad that you decided, after 40 years, to share your side of the story and your experience of, of this amazing walk across America and leave a legacy for your grandchildren. And may everybody else do the same, because we all have a really, really interesting story. I I truly believe that. So thank you, Barbara. Thank you, listeners. And I now close the Spiritual Forum and look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.